Welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran. Hey, good morning. My name is Wilson. For those of you I haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, yeah, really excited to talk to you guys this morning. We're in a sermon series, but before I dive into the second message in that series, I just want to uh, honor a group of the body of Christ in the room with us this morning, and that is the Indie Vineyard Youth Group. Will you guys stand up? Come on. Stand up, Indie Vineyard Youth Group. We love you guys. Come on. Where's Ian, though? Come on. All right. Here's the youth, here's the youth pastor of the Indie Vineyard, Ian Ray. Give it up for Ian. Bro, during worship, I really felt like God gave me a word for you. And if, as I prophesy over him right now, anyone in the room gets a word for him, please come up here and share it on the mic. I know there's a lot of people in the room who are going to probably hear something. But yeah, bro, um, so this is Ian back here. Ian Ray, is, are you married? Okay. I was going to say your wife should stand up too if she's here, but who wants to be his wife? Go ahead and stand. No, um, no for real though, I felt like, I felt like I heard God's, well, this is just obvious. There's so much leadership gifting on your life, and I really appreciate the like sincerity and uh, of heart you carry, and I feel like God just said that like, um, you really live out what it means to be poor in spirit and meek very well. And that's not weakness at all. That's not um, a like deficient characteristic of yours or anything like that. Like the meekness, the, the poor in spirit thing you carry really places you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I just feel like there's about to, you're gonna, you're gonna enter into um, like a kind of like an upgrade, like um, a major improvement from the Spirit in your ability to prophesy and work miracles. And all of it comes back to your poor in spiritness, your meekness. So um, I'm going to pray for you, but if anyone else gets a word, David or Tori or anybody, Kendra, come up. All right, cool. Come up. And Keenan. Um, Lord, I just bless uh, Ian. Thank you for him. I thank you for the anointing on his life. Uh, upgrade, Lord, in Jesus' name, in prophecy and in miracles. Sure. So, brother, this word meek, the Lord reminded me, there's a, there's a word meek that they use to describe um, uh, like Libazon stallions, they're they're real powerful, and it's it's power under control. Come on, so good. So I got to stand next to you in worship, <laughs> and it was just so beautiful. And I felt like the Lord said that He is going to increase your capacity to know His thoughts and His heart Come toward on. people. So when He was talking about prophecy, I jumped up because I felt like the Lord said that He's going to kind of impart his heart and his thoughts into you so that you can inspire hope and passion over this next season. I felt like the Lord saying that that's the need for this season. And I felt like the Lord saying, he's gonna use you as the answer for that. Come on. So I just wanna bless that over you. Hey, you were highlighted to me during worship also. And I got a sense that you, um, kids are drawn to you <clears throat> and people who need encouragement in general are drawn to you because you naturally call out the gold. And so I just bless you to have an increase of prophetic words. And also when you, when you prophesy and when you just encourage, just say, I like that shirt you're wearing. It can be a simple encouragement, 
those words are going to land on people with weight. They're going to feel it. You know, sometimes you give a compliment and they're like, oh, thanks, but they don't receive it. People are going to receive what you have to say. I just got a sense that maybe you've recently gone through a desert season in your life and that the Lord just wants to say that you pleased him so much in that desert season, like the way that you weathered it and the way that you pressed into relationship with him. And the Lord looks back at that with fondness. And there's like a sweetness to that season for the Lord because of the way that you stewarded that and you pressed into that. Come on. Stephanie. Thanks, um, sir. It's funny she talked about a desert. I actually saw you planting a seed in the desert. Like during the season of the desert, a seed was planted. And I felt like the Lord said it's about to flourish. Um, I see uh, through the seed this big flower just blooming. But uh, I saw it was like a fire flower. And um, it was like on fire. And as it bloomed, like it spread everywhere. And I saw things and children on fire and they're all over the city and schools and stuff on fire and they're planting and starting more fires and I feel like it's a seed do you think it's a small little seed but God's like this small little seed that you planted is about to flourish and take over come on so good yeah the, the desert uh, showed me in the desert I saw this well and it, it, it looked like it was dry at first but then all of a sudden a spring came up and there was like layers and layers and layers of springs coming up and flowing out throughout the whole desert. It's really cool. So good. Come on. <laughs> um, so I was feeling this yesterday in the car when you were talking about your headaches and your migraines and how you've had them for a long time. And I felt like the Lord was kind of, you had talked about your shoulders of that being a, a sense of pain as well towards the headaches. And I just got the word of you're carrying so much it's not yours to carry and specifically when it has to do with the youth group um you know you've built this the lord has built this youth group through you in these last few years and i felt the lord was inviting you to trust more in his abilities versus yours um and i was also wondering if people could put if you're okay with this Ian, put your hands on ian for prayer um just for um his headaches and migraines yeah, come on and he's seeing a doctor am i right this week um yeah, so I'm just going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray over Ian right now, God, that you would just release the burden. Um, and it's a beautiful burden to carry for this youth group. And I know it is filled with joy and passion. But God, anything that is not his to carry, I pray that you remove it right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that any headaches and migraines that he has, God, that is connected to carrying things that is not his own would release right now in Jesus' name. Holy, holy ghost, come and just fill all spaces of his body, God. Lord, even that doctors would be able to work through him. Um, and God, that right now, any, any tension that he has in his neck and his shoulders, it, with your heat, God, that you would just release it. Father, I pray that as he walks in faith, knowing that you are already carrying those burdens and walking before him, God, that you would remind him, Lord, that first he's a son, and first he's your friend, and first he's your bride, um, and nothing else, Lord, would go and fall on him that would create burden yeah. that is not his. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, all right, last three. All right, so I got the word um, rest, and I just think the Lord is wanting you to rest in him and just like abide in him. Come on, is he your youth pastor? Oh uh, yeah. Do you actually like him? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. La you're the last one, come on up. You right there, yep. 
No okay. one else come up. I muzzle the spirit of prophecy right now. I, I am, you are witnessing the spirit be quenched right now. Okay, so when Wilson first started talking, I got this picture of you and you were in like full knight's armor and you were like ready for war. And then slowly I saw behind you and it was all of your kids and they were ready for battle too. And I feel like you're raising up an army ready to fight for Indianapolis and that you guys are just gonna wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness, so. Come on. Hi, so the Lord was highlighting to me um, a specific picture of a keyhole. So I think he's gonna be giving you a new key in this season, or like specifically a word that is engraved on that key. And he didn't tell me what that word was, but I think he's already highlighted it to you. And he's gonna be teaching you how to unlock that door and to fully engage and just to walk through it. Sweet, that's a good word. I'll take that one for myself. Hi, Ian. I didn't know this word was for you, but I can only say what God was saying through worship. Um, I just believe that God sees you as John, like you're so close to his heart. Mm. Um, And those close to his heart, he gives insight. Um, God, I I ask that you increase insight over Ian's life. I thank you, God, for who he is and who he is in the kingdom. Um, I believe that you're called to a people that has been rejected And I want, in worship, all I, can, all I know is that he just kept saying that, remind them that this is their father's house and remind them why do they come here? They come here for an encounter. This isn't just a building, this is the father's house and they're looking for the father's house. Um, so I just bless you and I ask that the Lord keep you and make his yes. face shine upon you. Come on, amen. Yeah, and with that, I felt like God was just increasing your teaching gifting, bro, like with the insight thing. So, amen, officially. All right. (laughs) Yesterday, Jordan had a conference here. Jordan's the student revival pastor. He's preaching in two weeks here, up here. But um, he did a conference here called Catch Fire, and it was for fifth through 12th graders on evangelism and loving Jesus, and then from a place of loving Jesus and be filled with his love, going and sharing the gospel and God's love to the community. So a group of like 60 um, fifth through 12th graders and leaders hit up Kenwood Mall yesterday and uh, just massacred the devil. (laughs) All right, so we're in a series right now called Emotional by Design. And um, this is the second message today. Did you know that May, like in the United States, is Mental Health Awareness Month? And so that was a little bit of the motivation to do this series. But we just really believe that, man, to steward the calling on this church to be a healing community, we have to be healed people ourselves. And that's not like to say that we're not, that's not a journey we're on. It's more, here's what I'd say. To be a healing community, we have to commit to being on a healing journey. <laughs> okay? Um, and God wants to use everyone, of, everyone in this room, and specifically, if you're part of your Northwest, God really wants to use you to bring healing emotionally, spiritually, physically, cast out demons from um, your friends' lives and people's lives around you. And so part of us uh, walking in that, and th- that was the ministry of Jesus. 
You know, Jesus, his, the church doesn't, doesn't have a different assignment than Jesus. You know that Jesus' assignment was to bring the kingdom of God to earth and to, and to put down the kingdom to grow here. Um, and so we are continuing Jesus' assignment as the body of Christ. I mean, think about it, body of Christ. We are his body. We are the continuation of Jesus on earth doing his ministry. So to do that, um, it's really important that we actually take time to be emotionally healthy um, ourselves. So the angle that we are coming at this series from is that we are emotional by design, not emotional by accident or not emotional by the fall. Who's believed that? <laughs> because of the fall, I'm emotional or something like that. Um, subtly, I think all of us have to believe that at different moments and in different instances that, man, this is like a result of sin that I'm feeling, ah, and really that's shame, that's the devil. Really, emotions are a beautiful, amazing gift, by, gift from God. And last week, Luke talked about how we are emotional because um, our designer is emotional and our designer being God. And the definition we're using for emotional in this series is the capacity to feel, the capacity to feel. So try and eject all the pejorative or negative connotations. Do you like that pejorative and connotations in the same sentence? I went to college, okay? Um, we gotta get rid of those, those like negative ideas about what it means to be emotional. It's actually a beautiful thing. God is described throughout the entire revelation of scripture as feeling deeply, regularly and profoundly. So that was one thing Luke talked about that I'm gonna talk about more today is that we're emotional um, because our designer is emotional. And I wanna go deeper into this. Uh, then after I finish kind of uh, sharing a bunch of rambling thoughts about that, uh, I wanna talk to you about the second thing Luke talked about, which was we are called to master our emotions rather than be mastered by our emotions. We're called to master our emotions rather than be mastered by our emotions. Now, the language in that sentence is very intentional, okay? What, what we're trying to put out there is the ideal. We are called. This is what, if God's will was always happening, which it's not always happening on earth, because he said to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning that it's not always done on earth. Um, the ideal would be that we would always be the master of our emotions. But that's not the case, right? Okay, so no one feel bad. I am surely not the pro even close to being an example of someone who is always, in, always mastering their emotions. But we got to start with what is the invitation? What is the like, what's the thing God's inviting us to? And it's to master our emotions rather than be mastered by our emotions. So how I want us to think about it, if that word call kind of uh, puts a weight on you or makes you feel pressure, think about it this way. We have the ability to master our emotions rather than be mastered by them. You have that ability, okay? So let's start with um, we have emotions because our designer does. Now, when I hear that statement and when we, talk, when we talk about that statement, it really makes me kind of ponder and I go a step deeper and I'd say that scripture actually tells us that um, we have emotions because our designer wants us to have emotions. Not, it's not just because he does, because he could have, 
he doesn't, like, we don't have every attribute of God, right? <laughs> but we have some of them. And one of them is emotional, an emotional center, emotionality. Now, this makes me ask the question, why does God want us to have emotions? Why did he design us that way? And secondarily, knowing that he has emotions, what does that mean? Like, where is it coming from? It's just kind of weird to me just to like rest on the statement that God has emotions. I, I think we can take that even a, there's a question, we can go further there of where do his emotions come from? So for the first, the first question I just asked, why does God want us to, let's turn to Genesis 1. Let's go to the beginning of the story, okay? I'm going to read a bunch of verses here. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created, now, this second, that's like a discourse. Now, this is supposed to be kind of like this next phrase here, this bottom paragraph. This is like a poem, okay? Um, it's, not, it's not just the narrative continuing. It's like we're pausing narrative style of literature and we're going into like poetry for a second. It, this was, it's kind of like this was like a saying that we would remember and we would believe and we would repeat to ourselves. It would be something we would all just be kind of, it would be infiltrating all of our, not all, but a lot of our conversations, a lot of our thought life. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the big the, the thing I want to camp out on here in, in this passage is the word image. I want to just talk about this a little bit, flesh out image. Um, so yesterday, a student, I was speaking to the conference, a student drew a picture of me. Now, she's an amazing artist. If you look at this, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's Wilson. You'd look at this and you'd say, that's Wilson. But really what you'd be meaning to say is, that's a picture of Wilson. Right? Like if I, show, if I put a picture of my daughter on the screen right now, you could say, I have seen Wilson's daughter's picture. Not that you have seen Wilson's daughter, unless you actually have, okay? Um, so that, that's what an image is. It's something that we see that calls to memory and causes us to think about something else. The image isn't the thing, but it's a representation of the thing. Does that make sense? Um, taking this kind of a step further, the, the word that is used in the Hebrew here is actually used all, for image, is used all throughout the Old Testament to talk about idols of like pagan nations. That they, they made an image in the shape of Baal or an image in the shape of Ashtra or whatever, you know? So this word image is like super, super loaded to the original um, the people who are originally reading this book and originally hearing this, they would have been like, that, that would have been like kind of startling to them that we are created in God's image. There's a level of, 
um, reverence to that. There's, there's like big implications to the we're creating his image. Now, image, be, being created in God's image, it includes, but it transcends emotions. Okay? Being made in God's image, it includes, but it transcends the ability to speak, the ability to think, the ability to have intellect. Um, so it's image. I, I don't want you to walk away from here just thinking like, well, we're made in God's image, which means we have emotions. No, it's part of being made in God's image means that we have emotions. To kind of like just flesh this image thing out a little bit more, it's like this term is referring to a stat, it, it's referring to a status and a capacity that we have. We have the status of being an imager of God. Now, this makes a lot of sense when you think about Jesus. You know, there's all these crazy verses in the Bible about Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwelling bodily, and him being the exact representation of the Father. Doesn't that just make you scratch your head? Like, how could a human fully embody and, and show you what God looks like? It's because God made man in his image. We have the capacity to represent God. We're not, we don't have the capacity to be God. We have the capacity to represent him. Thinking about this more like, I have a unique capacity to look like Van, my father, the senior pastor of this church. People come to me all the time and say, you sound just like him and you look just like him. None of you guys can sound and look like my dad in the way that I can, okay? And I'm really jealous of you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my son, my son Silas. So I have a son Silas and I have a daughter Haya and my wife's pregnant. She was the really beautiful one singing right here. Um, so Sil Haya, yeah, Haya looks a lot like her mother, okay? Like her skin tone is, is dark brown, just like her mom. Our son Silas is just white, just like me. So Silas, he images me, okay? Like, and here's the crazy thing too. He looks a lot like my dad. It's like, if you get any van DNA in you, you're gonna look like him. <laughs> but it's a capacity thing. It's more than just a, a, what, what you look at. It's more about what's inside of us, the capacity to represent someone. Now, so God created man in his image, there's kind of, there's a bunch of things to flesh out here. I'm going to keep going, though. Um, go to, go a couple slides in. I'll tell you. Go again. Yeah, okay. Or actually, go back really quick. So let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, all right, pay attention to that phrase, and let them have dominion. Now go to the next slide. Okay. So, and let them is a purpose clause in this sentence. I'm sorry that I'm being all academic, okay? But it's fun. And let them is a purpose clause in this sentence. Purpose clauses answer the question, it, why or for what purpose? It's a very common occurrence in the Hebrew language, is purpose clauses. It's actually really common in, in English too. I didn't think to give you guys examples. But now I go to the next slide. This would be another way to translate that verse if you understand how grammar works. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness in order that they may have dominion. So even more than and let them, it's that we can't have dominion without being in God's image. God created us with the unique ability to be over 
all, we're, we're distinguished from all other living creatures on earth. We're set apart and we have the ability to represent him and to rule and reign and have dominion over the earth. So for me, this is just like a kind of fundamental truth that we have to get in our head. That we image God and we are dis- we're distinguished from all our creation to be able to, um, to represent him. Some of the practical applications of this for me is that I need to embrace me. I need to embrace who I am. The unique person I am created, and I'll add the caveat, in subjection to Jesus. All right, like, what, what does Jesus say about what I'm allowed to believe and think about me? And then I subject myself to that. So it's not just like postmodernism, be whatever you want type of thing. But I need to actually embrace and love how God has wired me. He's wired me different than you and you and you. And sometimes I look at you and you and you, and I like you and you and you so much because I like the image of God so much that I start to devalue me. That I look at others and I'm like, man, I really love the God in them. And they're representing God in a way that I don't, I suck. That's an easy thing to do. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to say, wow, that's amazing. That's why I need you. Because you image God uniquely how you were created to. And I don't in that exact same way. So that, well, like, we can work together, and that's why the church as a whole, not just being, not, I'm not just saying like all of us in this room, but like different churches as a whole will represent God well um, because they're all uniquely formed and shaped. Um, so it's, it's embracing me and it's honoring others. Now here's how this relates to emotionality and emotions, okay? This past week, I was having lunch with one of my good friends, and um, I love this guy so much, and I love him so much that I had to tell him something he did that hurt my feelings. <laughs> so, like, who likes to do that? Who likes to go to lunch with someone and tell them how they hurt you? Yeah, right? Isn't that amazing? But I just thought, man, like, am I really honoring who I am if I just repress how I feel when I interact with him? It's like 30% of the time, like 70% of the time in this certain instance of interacting with him, it's amazing, but it's happened enough that I've been like, man, I am actually starting to kind of like pull away from you in this area because of how you have reacted to me. So I just told him honestly, I said, bro, I feel like it was the last five minutes of our lunch. I saved it for the end, okay? <laughs> and I wrote, so the, the problem was that I felt like he didn't always, I, I, I didn't feel like he, when I brought up something that I wanted to talk about, I didn't feel like it got explored. It just got kind of turned to him quickly and he started talking about it. Um, And obviously like we're all guilty of that, but I just know that for me, how God's uniquely wired me, one of my, one of the things that really makes me feel loved by people is when I feel listened to. And I know again, everyone, that applies to everyone, but for me, like it gets dysfunctional sometimes, okay? So like, I know that I gotta rein it back in and I can't be like using this as a tool to, whatever. But at the same time, I want to honor the image of God in me. I want to honor the part of me that desires to be listened to. And if I want continued intimacy in this relationship, I got to just tell him. Just on, like in an honest way. And I talked to Luke beforehand before I did it. And Luke was like, here's how I would soften what you're about to say. And gave me a bunch of tips on how to make it nicer. So I did. And I surprised myself. I started to cry when I told him it. I did, and I did not expect that at all. But I just told him, and as I'm doing it, my eyes are tearing up. I'm like, 
all right, I guess this is part of it, whatever. And he, he met me with total compassion. It ended up that he even said, this is something God's working in my life about, is to be a better listener. So thanks for telling me that. Like, this is an area that I'm really striving to improve. One, one of the reasons I did that is because I have this core conviction that as an imager, I need to value how God has wired and designed me. And that doesn't mean I'm a, um, you know, sin or stick up for myself in this mean way, but I wanna actually value how God has wired me as a unique imager. So don't reject emotionality. <laughs> okay, now I talked, I said that another thing that I was pondering on with Luke's message was, where do God's emotions come from? So turn with me to 1 John. All right, I'm gonna read a big, long chunk of scripture. I really like reading a lot of scripture, so. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, so here's the context, okay? Um, Paul, John is writing to a church that's being um, influenced with this bad doctrine, this bad belief called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, what it said was, it's a, it's a system of thinking, it's a system of believing that said the material, physical world that you can touch and feel is inherently bad. It's bad. The spiritual is good. So get repress the physical material world and elevate the spiritual world and then you will know who Jesus is. Then you will be godly. And you see how there's like this, there's a little bit of truth in that, right? Like we walk by faith and not by sight. But that doesn't mean we devalue sight and we devalue who we are as a person. So, so John is writing to these people saying, hey, um, sleep, sex, eating, these, those are good things, okay? Don't devalue that. Um, Jesus actually came and walked and lived in the flesh. Don't devalue that. And he's just gone through a whole, a whole talk with them about how to test the spirits, how to know if a supernatural encounter, a spirit type encounter you're having is of the Lord or not of the Lord. And so he's really trying to get down to some really clear kind of statements about how to know if someone is following Jesus well or not. All right, so whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. See right there, as he is, so also, so also are we in this world. He's hitting on that idea that you walked in the flesh, Jesus walked in the flesh. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. You can just leave this slide up. I just want to dive in now to, for the rest of my message, um, fear and love and understanding the interplay between them. And this is why I said ramblings, because I don't feel like I have all this perfectly figured out, but I really want to talk about it. Bad fear and good fear and good love and bad love. Um, that's always a dangerous thing when a preacher says, I don't have this all figured out, but I really want to talk about it. So God is love. 
This is where all of God's emotions are coming from. Anything God feels is coming from a place of love. Another thing this means is that you can't know love apart from God. Unless you know God, you can't know love. And you know, we use love in a very, very um, wide ranging way in our culture, right? I love Chipotle. I love my wife. Like what? (laughs) But we use it so many different ways. Um, So that kind of messes with our perception of love to begin with. So God never does anything unloving. You can't know love apart from God. And as image bearers, love is core to to who humans are. Love is core to who humans are. Not just redeemed humans, all right? Love is a, poor, is a core part. So when, when humanity sinned, the image of God was twisted and contorted. But to say that the image of God was fully lost, I don't think would be accurate either. But it was broken and messed up severely. So when we get born again, when we come, back, when we come into Christ, the image of God is restored in us. And love is even is amplified in a deeper way. But even unbelievers, d- deep down in them, there is a core part of them that is love. Now, for an unbeliever, the thing that has gotten deep inside of them, right sandwiched next to that with just as much power is fear. We don't have fear as part of our identity as believers. Fear is not part of who you are. It's an experience you have. It's a mindset you take on. But fear isn't um, something that you can, be, you can identify as who you are with. Whereas you can identify, man, like, I am loving. That is just part of who I am. That's a, that's a true biblical identity statement to make. So with abiding, this, what, the, the concept of abiding is talking about, like, hanging out. Dwelling, resting, remaining. One of the reasons that we don't uh, resonate with the word abide is because our culture doesn't really abide ever. It's a super fast-paced culture, right? So abiding, an analogy I thought of was when you're eating something and you don't want to swallow it because it tastes so good. Or when you don't want it to be gone. (laughs) You're like, I love this. That's the idea of abiding. It's It's a thing of remaining somewhere. So going down to fear now, I just want to propose to you that in this context, he's juxtaposing, he's comparing godly fear, or he's, he's juxtaposing God's love being in you with worldly fear being in you. Godly love being in you with worldly fear. So, fear is used throughout the Bible, right? Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul talks about knowing the fear of the Lord being a motivation for completing his work. What I want to, you can go to the next, uh, let's go to the slide about godly fear. Next one. Here's how I think about it. Godly fear produces reverence. Worldly fear produces anxiety. At some point here, we get into semantics, but the way that I like to think about it, the way that helps me put perspective around godly fear is, is reverence. One of my motivations for not having more than two alcoholic drinks is a godly reverence for obeying his command of not being drunk. 
So like that's a self-imposed limit I have on myself. I don't want to become drunk. So I'm going to have two alcoholic drinks and that's, that's when I know I'm not going to have any more. That's not fear like, I'm, my motivation there isn't, I'm scared of the shame of being drunk or I'm scared of what might happen if I get drunk. It's a, it's a honoring towards God. Now, here's one that I'm still trying to figure out. I, I'm the softball pitcher for my softball team and slow pitch softball team. And I've got hit twice by line drives pitching. Now, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I have some fear to pitch, <laughs> okay? But that's a result of the fallen state of the world, okay? Like, I'm, I don't think that it's a sin that I, feel, that I feel fear to go on the pitcher's mound. That's a recognition of it's real to me what can happen when I step up there now. Bam, you know, right in the gut. <laughs> so I'm not, that's not the type of fear I think Paul is, Paul is, or John is talking about here either. The type of fear he's talking about is fear that cuts you off from connection to God's love. Any fear that cuts you off from connection to God's love is the type of fear that is not in God and that his love will actually drive out of you. So let's go to my last slide. Keep going. That's the last one? Okay, my bad. I didn't give them all my slides, I guess. Well, no, that's just true. I didn't. Okay, so here's, what I, here's, here's how I want to, here's how I kind of want to end. When emotions, so we know that emotions are good. We're not going to reject them and call emotions bad because we're creating God's image. He designed us to have emotions. But we also, what I was just trying to paint for you guys there was that our emotions can come from a place of fear or our, our emotions can come from a place of love. And when we're abiding in God, our emotions will come from a place of love. But when we're abiding in fear, our emotions are untrustworthy. And so here's like kind of a little three-step plan for you. When your emotions are heightened or they're vying for, oh, there you go, okay. When emotions are heightened or vying for control, the first thing we ask ourselves is this, am I abiding in love or fear? I'm sitting there getting in worship, feeling a little anxious about my message. I don't have it all organized the way I want to. And I'm like, okay, I am worried about how I'm gonna look when I go up there. That is why I am thinking about this so much. Um, so I was like, okay, that's called abiding in fear. I'm not gonna think about my notes the rest of worship. I'm just gonna worship. And I started to abide in love. So I connected myself to love. And it wasn't that I had the insight. It, okay, so I kind of told you the story a little bit out of order. I didn't see with clarity why I was nervous about my sermon. But after worship, after I connected to love, I realized, oh, I was kind of concerned with how I was going to look. So I then approached the emotion in the situation, and I was able to see it, and I was able to address it. So we start by asking ourselves the question, am I abiding in love or fear? We connect ourselves to God's love. We set our emotions to the side for a minute, and then we approach the emotion in the situation after being connected to love. We guys stand up, and will the prayer team come down right now? Whoever's on prayer team this morning, just come on down to the front, because we'd love to pray for you after I pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much um, for the privilege of being created in your image. It's hard to believe, it's incredible, but we value it and we say yes to it. Thank you for making it. Lord, I pray that you'd... Um, 
just put deep in our heart a desire to reclaim your image through leading others to Jesus. That's what we're doing when we do evangelism is we're leading other people back to who they really are so they can bear your image again. Father, I pray um, just blessing over everyone in this room that those with uh, like any kind of emotional weight or emotional struggle right now, you'd infuse peace. You would connect them to your love, Abba Father. In Jesus' name, amen.